Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Hoopball podcast listeners, are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I know technically this isn't a baseball broadcast, but darn it, it's a sports show. And so I got to say, I know I didn't get there in the most alluring way, but welcome back, baseball. We may, we may have two sports that I am interested in over the next couple of weeks. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is your host, Dan Baspris. It's a hoop ball presentation. Yeah, I know it says NBA in the name of our podcast, but I'm a sports fan. Some, not all of them. I don't know. There was a stretch in my life where I did a lot of uh, sports handicapping, and it's it kind of forced me to pay attention to everything. But as soon as I wasn't betting on every single game that was happening, and I never bet on it, you know, betting on every single sport that was going on, I, I was able to pick and choose, and I'm really kind of an NBA and MLB guy, and so after months of excruciating and ugly negotiations between the Players Association and uh, ba- Major League Baseball's ownership, they did not really come to an agreement. The ownership kind of just said, look, we're implementing a 60-game season, and... Then they figured out how they were going to deal with health concerns. But it sounds like spring training's starting in a week. I don't know how the hell they can pull that off, considering there have been COVID cases at their different training camps as recently as last week. But, you know, I guess we'll, you know, different guys will get tested before coming back. Presumably everybody will get tested before showing up at each team's home ballpark. And then it's a 60-game season, so it sounds like there's going to be about 40 games inside your division which is about 10 against each other team, and then 20 games interleague against teams that are also close to you. So it's going to try to limit travel a little bit, but they're still moving around. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited because I think baseball will start. I'm not super confident that it's going to finish, and it's not funny. I don't know why I'm chuckling. I'm just. It just feels like it's kind of doomed somehow. Maybe it's just the way it got there, and and maybe I need to see the updated health protocols, but I know initially they were talking about testing every other day in a sport where they basically play every single day. 60 60 games in 66 days, I think, is the plan. So they're playing six on, one off. Uh, How do you not... I mean, you have to get tested every day. If you're playing every day, you got to get tested every day. That's the beauty of some of the other sports where maybe there is a day off in between. And I think those sports are testing every day anyway. So we'll see. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Right now, I'm just going to try to say good. Things are moving in the right direction. I just I don't see how that season makes it. But I'll, I'll, we'll all take what we can get at this point. Meanwhile, for the NBA, we did have some news breaking yesterday. Uh, Avery Bradley is out. Sounds like there's kind of been a blend of family and uh, societal reasons for him to opt out of the NBA season. I believe that, and I, you know, I, again, nobody really has to give a reason unless it's unexcused and then they only have to give it to their team and the team can decide what the heck they want to do with it. Uh, But that leaves the Lakers down their sort of point of attack defender. Nothing 
of massive note from a fantasy standpoint. And we're drafting him anyway, and this means just a couple more minutes for guys like KCP, Alex Caruso, which I know is going to make Laker fans very happy. Uh, Lakers sound like they may also be signing J.R. Smith, but he's not going to be playing very much either. Other news from yesterday that we're covering today, Anthony Tolliver has signed with the Grizzlies, not fantasy relevant, but not a bad pickup. Rockets signed David Nawaba to a two-year deal, but he's still rehabbing a massive injury, so he's not expected to play. Andre Drummond expected to pick up his player option for next season, and then the big one, Nikola Jokic tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, we don't know precisely when the the test came back, but presumably that will delay his return to uh, wherever the Nuggets are having their little training camp. There's there's been this crazy blowback on on this particular story, and I'm not sure that it's necessary. And here's what I mean by that: the it's not good. It's not good, right? You don't want to have one of the faces of your league test positive before the league gets going. But what you really don't want is for any faces of your league to test positive after the league gets going. The NBA hasn't had control over what their players have been doing between March and June. And Jokic in particular, like some of these guys uh, have been, I think, quarantining pretty well over the last three months. We have photographic evidence that Jokic hasn't been quarantining almost at all. So, of course, he has COVID. That's what happens right now if you don't take care of yourself. There's video and and photographic footage of Nikola Jokic at Novak Djokovic's massive party at his, like, self-created tennis event where we already know Djokovic was sort of thumbing his nose at uh, tennis's rules to try to prevent the, the, the spread of this thing. Unfortunately, there are these people out there, one of them happens to be one of the best tennis players in the world, who think that they're invincible, who think that the rules don't apply. So then, instead of just taking the middle road, these types of people feel like they need to go to the opposite extreme. Instead of just saying, you know what, meh. I'm not really buying it. It's got to be like I'm going to I'm going to do everything in the face of the suggested rules. So we're going to have a freaking rave and we're going to all grind on one another and drink together and party together and have our sport event together and we're not going to wear masks and we're going to cough and sneeze on each other and everything's going to be fine. Well, guess what? How much evidence do we need that nothing is fine when you act like that? So anyway, get carried away here. Because, for whatever reason, there's been this massive leap from Jokic tests positive to league isn't happening. And I'm seeing it everywhere. And I get it. There's this this built-in desire to react strongly to big news. But to me, this isn't that big. I think if we had a report of all the NBA players that had tested positive for COVID over the last three and a half months, we'd be flabbergasted. We just happen to get this one when everybody's trying to come back. He clearly, Nikola Jokic, clearly wasn't that concerned about the disease. If he was concerned, he wouldn't have been at this big party. That's where this thing spreads fast. Indoor events. I'm not a scientist, but there's some stuff that's just sort of smack you in the face, of course. So good. This is why I'm terrified for baseball. Because it doesn't seem like they have much in the way of quarantining in effect. Especially once the season gets started. At least if they're all, like at a spring training camp, they're all in one place. But once once they're moving, we don't know if these players are going to be allowed to go home, get food. Like, what are they doing when they're not at the ballpark? It just feels like there's 100,000 ways that this this disease could enter the baseball sphere. And, and maybe they, they close it off a little bit. The reason I still have any confidence in the NBA is that they're trying to create a bubble. They're trying to do the things to keep this from getting in and spreading. They're trying to be able to monitor everybody that's involved all the time. I get it. That's harder with baseball because 
The rosters are 25 people during a normal season. There's a whole bunch of coaches. The traveling party for baseballs are colossal. It's not quite as large with basketball. I'm I'm not giving up hope on basketball yet. I'm sure there's going to be a case at some point. Some worker on the Disney lot is going to bring it in, and then you're going to have an NBA player get it, and hopefully the testing is able to isolate and keep it from spreading. But with baseball, I mean, what I've heard so far is that these guys can, like when the game is over, they just go home like a normal day. And we don't know what their kids or spouses are doing. Did they have to go to work? Are they going to some sort of weird summer camp? Like what? There's so many exposures on the baseball. Well, anyway, we'll see. The the, the overarching point, the one that I want to loop back to, is that because Nikola Jokic has COVID on June 23rd when we had the news, doesn't mean the NBA isn't going to start on July 30th. Number one, most of the guys in their 20s in the NBA don't really have symptoms. So, in all likelihood, he'll be okay. We don't know what sort of long-term damage these things can do, even in the in the minimally symptomatic or asymptomatic folks. There's still a lot of evidence that needs to be collected on that front. But in all likelihood, Nikola Jokic is going to be okay. And he's going to test negative before the NBA returns. The question is... When does he get to the bubble? When does he get to the team isolation? How does that slow him down? This is going to be happening. Everybody on all of these teams is going to get tested right now because if someone has it, this is how they separate them before bringing them into the bubble. You can't bring it into the bubble. Catching it beforehand is good news for the resumption of the NBA season. We want to know everybody that has it right now. Finding out someone that has it right now is not a negative in terms of whether the season is resuming or not. It's actually nothing. They've worked this all out. They've got billions of dollars on the line. They're going to try to make this thing happen. They're not going to cancel because one player has it. Do I think the NBA is actually going to finish the re- this eight-game season and the playoffs all the way through? I honestly don't know. The 22-team part of this is the scariest part. That's when there's the most people, the most possible exposures. Provided people stay in the bubble, it should still be relatively low. But we're going to lose six of those teams, and we're going to lose eight of those teams. If we can get to the second round of the playoffs without anything becoming a thing, I think we're in pretty good shape at that point. Because then you're talking about uh, eight teams in this giant hotel and complex. You don't see it. I mean... Eight teams is going to be what? About uh, 250, 300 people? 300 people split between multiple arenas and multiple hotels is effectively nobody. These hotels and arenas are normally housing thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people, and to put 250 in there, that's nothing. I mean, if they didn't want to, they would never run into one another. But that 22-team part, that's the part that scares me a little bit. But right now, don't let anybody in who has it isolate to make sure that if anything slipped through, it doesn't pick up steam. And then you get going. You're in the bubble. The bubble should largely be like shelter at home. It won't be. There's there's little things that are going to, you know, the people that, that work there that can go home and stuff like that, but I have more confidence in the NBA than I do in the MLB, but but again, whatever we get, I'm going to watch. So that's your news of the day. Uh, Today's the day that that players need to report whether or not they're coming back. So far, we haven't had any additional news break, and it's about 9.30 a.m. here uh, Pacific time. So right now, we're sitting on uh, Avery Bradley, Davis Bertans, and Trevor Ariza so far. So nothing... Nothing earth-shattering, but I'm sure a couple more names will trickle in over the rest of today. Let's talk a little bit of fantasy. One thing to uh, refer back to yesterday, I I realized after I finished the podcast and it came up a couple of times on Twitter that I didn't go into detail on Yusuf Nurkic during our breakdown of the Portland Trailblazers. That's on me. I should have made mention of his name, but it's actually a pretty short breakdown for me on Nurk. I know he's coming off a stellar fantasy season last year. When healthy, he had uh, 15.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, a steal, 1.5 blocks. 
Shot 51% from the field, career high 77% at the free throw line, three assists per game. He was brilliant in 27 and a half minutes per ball game. Uh, dude is coming off one of the grossest injuries we've seen since the Paul George situation. The Gordon Hayward situation also comes to mind. You guys remember what those dudes were like when they came back from those injuries? They were good for one game. The adrenaline game. And there might be one of those for Nurkic in here. But they are not going to be playing him big minutes. A big man coming back off a shattered leg is not going to be doing very much. Again, more than anything, it's just going to be another knock on Hassan Whiteside, who we already figured was going to be sitting with an arrow pointed down and wasn't someone we were targeting in these resumption drafts anyway. If I had to guess with Nurkic, you're probably looking at something like 18 to 20 minutes on average, probably lower than that to start, and maybe they get him up to 22-23, which, if he was healthy, might be enough to get him inside the top 100. But, you know, think about Victor Oladipo. How long did it take him to actually get his legs underneath him this year? 15, 16, 17 games? We don't have that kind of time for Nurkic. So you might have some decent rebounding numbers in there. Uh, you might have a couple of games where he does block a shot and, and get a steal. But I would expect the percentages to be rough. I would expect the turnovers to be rough. And I'm just not, I'm not into it. Even as potentially like a, a pick at the very end of everything. There's just, there isn't really a ton of reason for them to push Nurkic when he's this rusty. Especially in this weird resumption, like try to ramp up and then get him going. This is a guy coming off a career-threatening leg injury. So I'm not into it. Um, I should have mentioned him yesterday. I apologize for that. But he's not a guy that I'm targeting for this eight-game resumption. What this might do, maybe this is the way to look at it, is you know, maybe he has one good game in the eight, and that's enough to get people thinking about him again next year. Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he is uh, rusty and uncomfortable for this entire resumption stretch. And that allows us to maybe get him late in next year's draft. That's probably what I'm hoping for, if anything. Is that people are like, hey, Nurkic is coming back. And he gets overdrafted here in the resumption league. And then he's extremely rusty because he should be. Because he hasn't played uh, since March of last year. I mean, you know, we're talking about 15 months now. 16 months by the time the NBA gets going. That's a real long layoff. So people are going to draft him. He's going to be rusty as hell. And then they might be like, ugh, why did I do this? And then next year, he might be pretty damn good again. So that's probably more the direction I would lean on that one. The other teams to cover today, I want to try to get through the other four teams in the Western Conference, uh, if at all possible. And I'll try to move a little bit faster. Let's start with the Kings as we work our way through. I want to start with Sacramento uh, on in today's show. Because they are 28 and 36, same record as New Orleans and San, uh, excuse me, same number of games under 500 as New Orleans and Portland. But Sacramento was actually 7 and 3 going into the break. They were hot. We may have all forgotten that. Sacramento was one of the better teams in the Western Conference going into this, this layoff. Can they keep that going? I don't know, but they do have the confidence to get into that play-in situation. So I think you're going to see Sacramento come out guns blazing here, and for that reason, I think they're a relatively safe team to draft guys from, at least in terms of what are our expectations, how many games are we going to get out of these guys. In terms of what they're actually going to do when they're on the court, this is one of the few teams where we don't really know that information. I know I said as we went into this portion of the year's proceedings on the podcast that this is a weird exercise because we generally knew what players were going to do when they were on the court. We just didn't know how many times they were going to take the court. Sacramento is kind of the opposite. I think we have a pretty good idea of whether or not they're going to play hard. And the answer is yes, because they're fighting. This is a big deal for them as a franchise, as a team. But we don't really know exactly who's going to play because it sounds like for the first time in half a decade, <laughs> they're basically healthy. Rashawn Holmes, healthy. Buddy Heald, good. Bielitsa, good. De'Aaron Fox, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Marvin Bagley, Harrison Barnes, Kent Bazemore, Jabari Parker, almost forgot he was on that team. Alex Len, all of these guys. Corey Joseph. 
Harry Giles, they're all healthy. So now the question is, what would the minute distribution have been for this team if they were ever healthy during the regular season after they realized that Rashawn Holmes was the best? And it's unclear. Remember, Sacramento was going to play that March 11th evening. Theirs was one of the games that got canceled after the Rudy Gobert positive. So they never got their last game in. So Sacramento's last game was a home loss to Toronto, where they actually played, you know, relatively tough. And in that game, Rashawn Holmes was being worked back into his more natural minute distribution. So we don't really have a ton of information there. Marvin Bagley was still out. But they had gone to a different look starting lineup. So let's start with what we know. What we know is that Harrison Barnes is, for whatever damn reason, going to play a lot of minutes. They like his leadership, even if his fantasy game is super whack. He was number 164 on the year. There's almost no way he gets better than that with this team getting healthy. So he is right out. What else do we know? We know De'Aaron Fox is going to get a crap ton of minutes, and that's a good thing because he was actually playing better at the end of the season. De'Aaron finished the year at number 92 in nine-category leagues. Uh, He hadn't been great in January or February. He started to look better, actually, in March, late February and early March. His last 10 games, uh, he was inside the top 60. Life is always going to be hard for De'Aaron Fox because he can't shoot free throws yet. And maybe that comes around. I doubt it comes around now, although I guess it's possible that that's one of the things you could work on during a four-month quarantine. Uh, But he was getting his legs underneath him, probably going to get overdrafted because he's super fast and he can dunk and he has a good field goal percent for a guard um, and he gets some assists. But his other stuff is going to hold him back. Not a ton of three-pointers, free throw percent low at a pretty good volume for a guard. He's going to turn the ball over a decent amount. Um... So I think generally he's going to be a guy that gets overdrafted, kind of regardless of how a season is going for him. We also know that Buddy Heald is going to be a gunner off the bench for this team. How many minutes he gets remains up for debate. Over the last 10 games, he was averaging only 24 minutes a game, but he was still posting top 60 value in that stretch, hitting a boatload of three-pointers. He's actually getting some steals. He's a stellar free-throw shooter. Actually, in their last game against Toronto, he played almost exactly 24 minutes and had 11-5 and five with a steal and three three-pointers. Uh, I, I honestly don't know where he gets drafted. Buddy Heald had kind of a weird season where even when he was playing bigger minutes, it wasn't reflecting all that well on his fantasy numbers. He was extremely durable. Many of the Kings were, and that boosted their value by totals where their average value was a bit lower. Buddy Heald is one of those guys. He was number 65 on a per-game basis. Uh, He was number 35 by totals because he missed only, I think, none. I think he played in every single game for Sacramento this year. Double-checking my numbers on that. Yeah, every single game. Didn't miss anything. They had a few guys like that. Bielitsa played in all 64. Barnes, Corey Joseph, those guys all played in every single Kings game this season. They had their injuries, but they were fairly well localized to a whole bunch of missed games for Rashawn Holmes Bunch for De'Aaron Fox, bunch for Marvin Bagley, and then everybody else was was perfect. It was weird. So we know Buddy Heald is probably going to be somewhere in the top 75 range as a 24, 25-minute guy off the bench. And that's, again, 75 without making our 27% adjustment. For those that haven't been tuning in to our last few shows, I'm mostly referring to these guys about what their rank would have been during a 30-team resumption but then we're going to make these adjustments after the fact. We're going to remove 27% of the players on average as we assess what that actually means. So as an example, if we're talking about Buddy Heald, uh, 27% of 75 is about 20. So if he was 75 before the layoff, he should be around 55 after you remove the roughly 20 players in front of him that aren't playing. Again, rough estimates, we can actually go in and take the real names out, but it's going to be relatively close to that, give or take a little bit. Um, Probably a tiny bit lower, because when you take the worst teams out, you oftentimes take uh, fewer productive fantasy players out than if you took some of the better teams out. But it averages out a little bit. 
Okay, so Buddy Heald, uh, probably top 75-ish type numbers. Again, 55-ish in this resumption. We'll make our adjustments there. I think perhaps he gets a tiny bit underdrafted because he was a, a letdown this year. I know he got close to his ADP by totals, but most people are not going based exclusively on that number. You want your guy to be humming, and he wasn't really humming. He wasn't putting up big numbers, especially at the end when he was only playing 24 minutes. I think those are the things we know about the Kings coming back from the layoff. Prior to the break, a few things that stood out. Number one, Nemanja Bialica was still playing 30 minutes in that last game, but that was with Rashawn Holmes just starting to get his legs underneath him. He played just 19 minutes in that last one. Uh, and no Marvin Bagley. I know we made a thousand Nemanja Bialica voodoo doll jokes during the regular season, but I'm tempted to finally say that the doll might have expired. A four-month layoff sure feels like enough time for Holmes and Bagley to get well enough to where Bielitz is going to get squeezed, and he needs a lot of minutes to be effective. Now, mind you, he was good this year. Bielitz 64 games, top 75 numbers. We'll take that. Pretty well-rounded guy. But if his minutes trend down from 28-29 down to 24-25, that's probably enough to punt him out of the top 100. Now, who knows? Things are always weird in Sacramento. They might go to a Bagley home center position and leave Bielitsa all those juicy power forward minutes. I just, I can't envision that healthy Bagley and healthy homes don't create some kind of log jam for Bielitsa. So, probably not going that direction. What about Bagley and Holmes? Since we're just talking about them. Well... I legitimately have no idea where these guys are going to get picked. But I would consider both of them. I like Holmes' fantasy game more. He's probably coming off the bench, if I had to guess. Bagley, I would assume, would be the starter in front of him, but I don't know for sure. But we know Rashawn Holmes can do his damage in 20 minutes a game, and he's shown himself to be more than good enough to earn that and then some. So I think you see Rashawn Holmes probably in the 24-minute range which is definitely someone you want to be drafting. Rashawn Holmes in 29 minutes was around the top 30. In 24 minutes, he probably moves back towards top 70. And Marvin Bagley, we don't really know for sure because we haven't really seen him. Bagley played a handful of games this year. He wasn't really healthy for pretty much any of them. Uh... I mean, he only got through one game to start the season. He had 14-10 with a steal and a block. He has pretty good steal and block upside in his game. There's a possibility that he could actually be effective in both of those categories. He's going to score a fair amount, but we don't know if he can shoot free throws. He has so far okay this year, but 69% last season to 81% this year. Is that sustainable? I would take a shot on him. I just He's one of those guys where I just don't have a feel for where he's going to get drafted. Because he could easily be a top 75, top 80 type of fantasy player. He could even be better than that if things kind of break his direction. Um, but are, are people going to be taking him relatively early? Right? I mean, like, look at some of your draft results. Marvin Bagley went in the sixth round in a lot of my drafts. 60s and 70s range? In a normal draft right now, if is that where he's going again? Or is he going to get bumped earlier because of the removal of a bunch of players? Like, is he going to go at 50? I don't think I'd take him at 50. I think I'd probably take him at 60 or 70. But where is he going to go? I don't know. I truly don't know on that one. Some of these we just have to say, got to wait and see a little bit. And then with everybody healthy on this team, I don't think you have to worry about Jabari Parker or, or uh, Kent Bazemore or Alex Len or guys like that. They're just not going to be getting in the mix. So that's the Kings. Next one I want to talk about. And again, we're trying to move a tiny bit faster today on these. I want to get through these remaining four in the Western Conference so we can turn our attention out east. Although, admittedly, there are more in this, uh, in this conference than the others. And that's the New Orleans Pelicans. We're also a team that presumably got healthy during the layoff. This is a team that just had everybody a little bit dinged up pretty much all season long. Drew Holiday, 
Start with the biggest name on the team. Finish the season at number 38 on a per-game basis. His game should be fairly well untouched. He was, uh, he deferred a lot. I think that would probably continue to happen in the bubble. He's good at a lot of things. He's not great at others. His free throw percent was down. There's a chance that could be higher. There's a little bit of variation with his game because of the free throw stuff. But the 25 and 7, and I mean, people were upset with his season because he was outside the top 30. But a lot of that was the percentages and the turnovers. That's where he got hurt this year. And in a small sample size, eight games, they might both be horrible or they might both be better. So I would take a shot on Drew Holiday. I think he gets a little bit underdrafted here. Again, we have to make the adjustment, right? If he finished at 38 and people were thinking about taking him there, you know, that's about 10 teams, 10 players in front of him that aren't coming back. Is he going to go around 28 in this resumption draft, a little bit earlier than that? I'm going to look for Drew Holiday. I think I would consider targeting him. Brandon Ingram, 24, 6, and 4. He was trending down with Zion Williamson back. I don't think I'm targeting him. After this massive breakout campaign, he's likely going to get overdrafted during this resumption season. Probably will get overdrafted next year as well. If you got him for this breakout, congratulations. You probably got the one little window on Ingram where he was getting vastly underdrafted. And then he just, these numbers exploded for him. And so he's blown his value out of the water now. Lonzo Ball. I don't know where he's going to get drafted. He actually had a really good season and I think flew a little bit under the radar. He finished at number 70 in 9-cat, but was actually a top 25 guy the last two months of the season. Guys were in and out of the lineup, admittedly, but he was averaging 13 points, 7 boards, 8 assists, almost two steals, almost a block, and almost three three-pointers over that stretch. He really got going. He was drafted in the seventh round in a lot of drafts this year he was good even with the team largely healthy yeah he had some games where he disappeared offensively because you know he can't shoot but the fact that he rebounds assists steals blocks shots gets some three pointers that's enough to float a guy's fantasy value he can't shoot a free throw to save his life but he's barely going to the line so with Lonzo you just hope that if he takes some shots from the field they're not awful and maybe he can Somewhere in that 41-42%, that would be enough. I don't really know if he's going to be a value or not. I think the general fantasy community slept on him a little bit. And where with Brandon Ingram, he started the season really strong, so everybody took notice. Lonzo was the other way. Started the season really slowly and then revved up as the year went on. You could potentially, and, and we have to make a wait to see where he's getting drafted before making a call on this, but, I mean, Lonzo Ball, again, top 25 guy the last two months of the year. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be a top 50 guy during this resumption. And then, again, you pull out 27% of that. He, he could easily be a top 40 resumption guy that gets drafted beyond that mark. I think we may end up with some Lonzo Ball on our team as well. Those are the big names on this team. What about some of the uh, side names, like a Derek Favors, a Josh Hart, a J.J. Redick? Oh, excuse me, we got to talk about Zion. Uh, he's going to get overdrafted. There's just no way around it. He had a, he had a terrible season, played in 19 games, uh, brutal, brutal negative in the free throw department. Wasn't getting defensive stats, probably because he was playing uh, rusty and a little bit hurt. Those likely come around. I don't know if they'll come around during this resumption, but they will come around in his NBA career. Uh, but his name is so huge that he's still going to get overdrafted. There's just no way around it. I'm out on J.J. Redick, and I'm out on Josh Hart. I don't think either one of those guys actually gets to do enough with this team healthy to be fantasy-relevant. Josh Hart, they both were relatively close. They were both sitting in that 115 to 130 range for most of the year. When people were hurt, they stepped up. When people came back, they stepped down. And after four months off, I'm going to assume everybody's playing. Somebody gets hurt, you grab them. But there just isn't really much in the way of upside there. And right now, you're hunting upside, depending on what format you're in, I guess. Although, for most of them, you're, you want to try to cash in the biggest games you can on any given night. So the one player I do want to talk about is Derek Favors on this Pelicans team. Um, Favors finished at number 90 in what was kind of a weird season. He couldn't really stay healthy early. When he played... 
without Zion and was healthy, he was he was fantastic. He was a top 50 asset for those stretches, but there just weren't that many of them because he played banged up early, and then he played alongside Zion for the last roughly 20 games of the year. And so in between there, he had like 15 or 20 games where he was posting juicy numbers. As it stands, favors when Zion was healthy, was getting about 24, 25 minutes a game. And doing fine. He was doing enough. He should be on rosters for this resumption campaign. And I think he's going to get drafted pretty late. Um, with Zion around, he was he was more like a top 100 type of guy. But as we've already talked about, you pull 27 names off the list in front of him. And Derek Favors posting basically 10 and 10 with a block on good field goal percent. That's top 75 in the resumption. With only 22 teams going, that's a top 75 performance. I don't think he gets drafted inside the top 75. I think Derek Favors ends up a value. I think Lonzo Ball ends up a small value. I think Drew Holiday ends up a value during this resumption. I think Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are not, which makes New Orleans a pretty weird team to have what I think are relatively polarizing names, all with some name recognition, with maybe the exception of Favors, who doesn't have much these days, pulling in different directions like that. Usually you have a team where, oh, this team is going to get overdrafted, or this team is going to be a value team. New Orleans, very different directions on these guys. Drew Holiday, severely, he let people down in a big way. People drafted him at 12, 13, 14, and he finished near 40. By the way, uh, if you're counting, final 20 games of the year, Drew Holiday was top 25. So a lot of it for him is going to come down to percentages, and he could catch fire during eight games, or he could go the other way. Everybody could suck during these eight games, and percentages you might not need 47, 48% to be good. You might only need 46. Let's talk about San Antonio uh, next because they're next on the list here. Spurs 27 and 36. Lamar Aldridge out. They just signed Tyler Zeller while we were recording this podcast, which is a big who gives a crap. But they do need a big man with no Aldridge. Um, and I don't, I don't know how hard this team can really go during this resumption season. I mean, you, you just sort of never know. I know I've talked about it before as a team that may want to consider just throwing in the towel. Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, all in between them and the Grizzlies. But there is, to, to be fair, it's only by a half game. Spurs are a half game back of Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento. Four games back of Memphis, but maybe they can inch their way in enough to uh, have their little play in battle. So let's look at what the Spurs did this year and move along from there. LaMarcus Aldridge was the top performer on the team. He was number 26 on the season, did, did miss a handful of games with his shoulder towards the end of the year and then ended up uh, having surgery. So we don't have to worry about him. DeMar DeRozan was a top 45 guy. Again, steady state DeMar DeRozan, same guy every damn year. I would be extremely concerned about whether or not he plays the entire eight-game resumption. If you're going to use DeMar DeRozan, you use him at the very beginning and then assume that he's going to sit out probably the final three games, at least. So he's a guy you're probably not drafting where he would have been normally. Although, again, if you, know, if you have backups and things of that sort, if you have handcuffs, there's a, a possible avenue to use him. I, I just think, given the fact he's likely going to miss half the resumption season when the Spurs get eliminated, I don't, I don't know how you spend a top 45 pick on him. And by the way, uh, that's assuming, too, that almost a third of the players in front of him come out of his way. 27% of 43 is about 11 or 12. So if he played, he could have been sitting near the top 30. You know, 22, 5, 6, and 5 is not bad on good percentages, both of them. I like DeMar DeRozan's fantasy game these days. His game has sort of... His game didn't change, but the league evolved, and so now his fantasy game is more interesting to me than it used to be when it, when no one was taking three-pointers, and so you kind of needed guys to fill that out on your team. But now, anyway, not the point. Point is, you know, if he could be a top-30 guy for four games, 
and then he might just shut her down. So, you know, if you can get him at 50, I guess, you just use those four games and then call it a day. I would be more inclined to look at some of the other guys on San Antonio. DeJounte Murray, I think there's a chance he gets underdrafted. He was better this year than people realized. Finished at 71 in only 25 minutes a game. Um, Derek White should probably get some more opportunity here, maybe only after DeRozan stops playing, but definitely worth a spot on the end of your bench because when this team goes into shutdown mode, he's probably going to play some. And then the big ones, uh, Jakob Pertl and Trey Lyles are the two names that move from completely irrelevant to worth a discussion on a podcast. Because we, we basically know what to expect of these other guys. I'm, I'm not interested in the, the three-point chuckers on this team, like Bryn Forbes or Patty Mills. When Aldridge missed games previously, Jakob Pertl was a no-brainer. A no-brainer. And he will be again. You can look at his game-by-game log and look at the games where Aldridge was in and Pirtle was hanging around near the edge of the top 200 and then look at the games where Aldridge was out and he was playing more like 20 minutes a game. You know, he still wasn't posting colossal minute totals, even with LaMarcus uh, uh, chilling, but it was a pretty big jump. Look at the games where Jakob Pertl got closer to 20 minutes, and you're looking at a guy that could basically be a block specialist for you. I'm a little concerned that because the Aldridge surgery news came out so early, there's going to be some buzz around Pertl's name. Um, but if you can get him near the end of the top 100, you should. Trey Lyles is a different case study because his minutes ramped up with Aldridge out. And he continued to play reasonably large minutes even when Aldridge was back. And that became a tiny bit confusing. Now, Jakob Pertl was out for some of those games, so there was kind of a, a, a give and take there. But the question is, did Lyles do enough to supplant Pertl in any way? Those are the guys that the Spurs, I think, were wanting to use at center, I don't even know who the power forward becomes on this team as they start to shut people down. Like, I don't think Rudy Gay is going to be playing big power forward minutes on this club. They're likely going to go young, and when they do, we need to be ready for it. So the overarching question with San Antonio is, you know, I'm going to pull away from the the narrow picture and look at a much more a broad view thing is, who is worth stashing on this team for the first roughly four games of the resumption? I would say... Uh, Pirtle's worth using, probably right from the outset. Derek White is almost definitely worth a stash because he'll be okay even when everybody's playing, and then he'll move into the very good department as they start to peel minutes back. Um, I know everybody likes Lonnie Walker. He's someone to watch, but I don't think I would draft him. Could get thrust into additional minutes if or when DeMar DeRozan gets the plug pulled on his resumption season. I still don't know that I would pick up anybody in that Forbes, Mills, Bellinelli, Rudy Gay chunk. Trey Lyles would be one I think I would consider uh, picking up. I don't think you need to draft him. I think there's too many interesting backups in front of him. I mean, we already talked about a couple here. Uh, Derek White, looking back at the Lakers. You probably have some with Portland. You might even have some with New Orleans that we just sort of, I, I glossed over a tiny bit, but you might even have some backups on New Orleans like a Josh Hart. If they're like, all right, well, we we lost. Uh, Drew Holiday, you can take the rest of this off. Ingram, you can take the rest of this off. Like, they're, they're guys they might rest. I don't know that they will. New Orleans strikes me as a team that might just play their guys, even if they're getting the trounced. Derek Favors, Drew Holiday would be the two guys on that team that, could probably get the plug pulled on them. And then you're looking at maybe Jackson Hayes as someone to consider stashing. Josh Hart, I think, would move into a better role if Drew Holiday was out. So for that reason, I guess you could consider Josh Hart, you know, as a very late last-round pick kind of guy. I don't know if I'd take Jackson Hayes 
he didn't do anything when Derek Favors is actually playing. Of course, he gets shut down. You know, what? what is Hayes' C? 24 minutes, is that enough? Uh, probably not. So I think Hart might be the guy that you, you eyeball on that team. And finally, the Phoenix Suns. And I want to go relatively fast on this one, not necessarily because there isn't anything to talk about, but because they're going to be one of the first teams to get eliminated. Suns were better this year, 26-39. and 39. They did take steps forward, but they're still six games out in an eight-game resumption with the Spurs, the Kings, the Pels, the Blazers in between them and uh, getting into, a, into a, a play-in format. So they ain't making it. Almost 0% chance. The question is, do they bother to play their guys after they get wiped out? I mean, it, this... I, I keep watching my Twitter feed expecting to see the Phoenix Suns opt not to return to Orlando. Uh, I think they like the idea of being in a little bit of what you might call a playoff chase, but they're not really in it. So to me, it feels like Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Ricky Rubio, do these guys really need to play all eight games? I don't think so. And so I don't think I'm taking any of those guys in a resumption draft unless it's a situation where, again, you can handcuff it. Aaron Baines I'd be more interested in because I don't think he's getting drafted most places and he'll probably step into a starting center job halfway through the resumption season. Mikhail Bridges, he might just play all eight games because, you know what, screw it. He's young, he's healthy, they're developing his game. Kelly Oubre's out, so that's, you know, doesn't matter. Dario Saric might actually have value. He needs a lot of playing time, and he needs to be getting center minutes to really get there. But he could, I mean, he could end up playing 32, 33 minutes a game at power forward because there just isn't anybody else. If they if they shut down Aiton, Booker, Rubio, and Ubre's out, four out of the five starters are gone. So then you're looking at Mikhail Bridges, Dario Sarch, Aaron Baines, Cam Johnson's probably starting, and truthfully, I don't have any idea who takes the last starting spot on that team. So I'm probably not taking Aiton. I'm probably not drafting Booker. I'm probably not drafting Rubio, because I don't think they play more than three or four games. It's kind of the same situation as San Antonio. But with Phoenix, to me, there are these clear beneficiaries when things get shut down. With San Antonio, it felt like well, we already know about Pirtle. Derek White feels like the guy who gets the big win when the veterans stop playing. And then Trey Lyles was a maybe. With Phoenix, you know, four starters potentially being done. Mikhail Bridges would be awesome. Baines would be awesome. Sharic should be decent. I would much prefer to, to use Phoenix as kind of a stash bucket on my fantasy team here. Is there a, a point at which I would consider drafting the the starters, the traditional starters on the Phoenix Suns? Yes, that's there's always a point. Because DeAndre Ayton is a top 25 fantasy guy, so if he plays four or five of these games and you have Baines on your team, you can just use them as sort of a combo platter. But you kind of have to have both. Otherwise, what are you going to do? Are you really going to use your second-round pick on Ayton, who's probably not playing more than five of these games? When, I mean, look around you. Look at the guys that finished the regular season near DeAndre Ayton. That'll probably play more games than him. Kristaps Porzingis behind him. I'd rather have that dude. Vooch. You can go down the list. Paul George finished at 30. I'd rather have him than Ayton during this resumption campaign. A lot of guys in there that are, I expect to play more games. Even Chris Middleton will probably play more games, although that one's that one's dicey. So Phoenix, look at the backups. Mikael Bridges, who wasn't a backup, finished at number 76. You give that dude a little bit of volume, Mikael Bridges could be a top 50 guy during this resumption campaign. He could be great. Target him. Target Baines towards the end of draft. Target Dario Saric at the last pick of your draft. This team is is jammed with the guys that you're going to want to use on the last three days of this resumption roto or points campaign. Those are the guys that are going to be useful because you can't fill out your entire roster 
with players on teams that are going to play all eight games. They're just they're going to get scooped up before you can get to them. So you need guys that are lesser known. And that's what's funny about this. And, and I think we can we can turn away from the individual teams and again talk kind of broad strokes here towards the end of the show. That's another thing that's really interesting about this resumption eight gamer is that your draft picks at the end of your draft, you're in a 12 teamer, you got 13, 14, 15 picks. During the normal draft, at pick 150, you're thinking, can I get someone who's going to get me, you know, top 90, top 100 type of, of value? Because most teams are not going to be able to find that guy right now. In this resumption campaign, you're like, I want the guy who's going to do nothing for five games and then clobber for three. Because you're drafting just for the silly season. That guy might finish the resumption with top 100 value, but he's not going to be a top 100 guy for eight games. He's going to be top 200 for four and top 50 for four. All we care about is that top 50. It's a very different way of playing. But it's kind of fun. Mentioned it yesterday, I'll mention it again today. If you want to get involved with our DFS or sales operation, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Vespers. I know there are some of you that are starting to tune back in here as uh, sports news gets, uh, I don't know, do we want to call it a tiny bit more positive? I don't know. It's something. There's momentum. There's sports momentum, so people are coming back. Welcome back. Hit me up. We're building out our DFS and sales divisions, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Or you can hit up the great Mike Apatria, Mike, A-P-O-T-R-I-A. Uh, he'll be running that, that DFS show, so you can bug him as well. Uh, because as you guys know, I don't know anything about DFS. Not afraid to admit it. I've lost track of what day today is. And so for that, I'm just going to say, have a lovely rest of your day. It's Wednesday. I knew that. We, Of course. Of course I knew that. <laughs> have a great Wednesday everybody keep your eye on the news we'll find out who's opting out we'll talk about that tomorrow on the Thursday show we'll start the Eastern Conference breakdown as well I am Dan Vespers this is Fantasy NBA Today a hoop ball presentation we'll talk to you tomorrow This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.